welcome to the panel. Uh, NZ National, Wallace Chapman here, Brody Kane and Ben Thomas with me today. Uh, a couple of texts here. Kim, and, Kim says, I regret getting my gold tooth replaced. It was a point of difference. Aaron says, I disliked my teeth when I was a kid. My teeth kept moving. Fangs kept getting worse. After kids had gone, I got braces at 47 years old and I am much happier. Discussing quite a bit today, but let's start with this first. Nearly all non-surgent urgent surgery and outpatient clinics had been cancelled today as thousands of nurses went on strike. It appears there's been widespread support across the country. Cars, buses, even fire engines tooting, flashing lights and support, RNZ reported earlier. Emergency services will still be running today and those with urgent medical needs are being told they will still be able to attend hospital or dial 111. GPs and Healthline will also be available throughout the day. And across all 28 DHBs, members of the New Zealand Nurses Organisation stopped work and headed out to join the picket lines and marches. It came about after a third pay offer was rejected. A down payment of $4,000 lump sum was offered ahead of the pay equity claim to be settled later this year. That gets taxed, however. The strike ends 7pm this evening. With me is Dr Natalie Anderson, Senior Lecturer of Nursing at the Faculty of Medical and Health Sciences and also a practising registered nurse who has undertaken research into stress and coping in health professionals. Dr Anderson, kia ora. Uh, kia ora, Wallace. What are the key issues for you? Uh, we're, we're in the midst of the strike. What are the key issues for you? Uh, I think I've been nursing for uh, 20 years now and I think that... Um, Morale in nursing is as low as I've ever known it, and that you know we we really are the backbone of healthcare. We really um, we we're doing an awful lot of work that anyone who's ever been in hospital knows is really valued, um, is really important, but is sometimes uh, perhaps a little bit invisible, not measured quite the same way as as uh, some of the other things that are going on in healthcare. Um, and and we re- we really we need to be resourced adequately to to provide the kind of care we we aspire to, and so you know my colleagues are out today because we really we want to let New Zealanders know that we're worried about the health system and that that we can't provide them the care that we want to provide. Can I ask you? I mean, as a as a practicing nurse, uh, Natalie, give us give us an insight. What's it like uh, on the ground uh, as uh, as a nursing practitioner? Well, I guess um, I, I'm also a nurse educator and I, yes. I see nursing um, through fresh eyes through my, my students who are going out for the first time onto the wards and experiencing the nursing profession. And they're seeing uh, people who are really, really tired. They're working extra shifts. Um, they're, they're missing their breaks. Um, and they're rushing between jobs and sometimes even having to choose to ration care, which means that they know there are jobs that they really want to do to help with the comfort and dignity of the patients that they're caring for, but they just don't have time to do those jobs. Um, and, and that's a really difficult thing for uh, you know our new student nurses and, and new graduates to be seeing. Yeah, well, we've got a panel with us also, Natalie. Brody, what are your thoughts or questions here? Oh, first of all, you are the uh, the lifeblood and the heart and soul of the health system, so I am unashamedly 2 million percent behind you today. Um, it, what, what The government's saying that there's not enough money. Do you believe that, or have they just not budgeted this health round good enough to find the money for you guys? 
Uh, well, thank you, Brody, for what you've said. But um, I, I guess I'm not in uh, health policy right at the moment. I'm not totally sure where all the money is going. But I, I feel like an investment in nursing is an investment in healthcare for all New Zealanders. And if you want quality nurses, um, you, which I think we all do for the day that we need, we need them, um, then you, you know you have to to acknowledge the the amount of skills that are required uh, to become a really good specialist nurse these days. Otherwise, all our best nurses are going to go overseas, or they're going to they're going to leave nursing, and we're not going to attract new nurses in. And, and and nurses know. I mean, it's no secret that. Um, they're paid pretty low on the overall scheme of what they do. So nurses don't actually go into it to start with for the money. Um, they go in it for the love, but I guess love can only get you so far. You know, I think love can get you a long way. I think that um, the reward of nursing and delivering excellent care and, and compassionate care can go a long way, but it, it isn't enough. Um, you know, we, we, we have families um, to feed and, and bills to pay and, and so forth. Um, and also that the cost of becoming a nurse and maintaining the skills and, and upskilling is, is increasing. And so our graduates already have significant debt before they've even started nursing. So, yeah, nice. I think delivering excellent care is important, but it, it isn't enough. Ben... Yeah, so Natalie, I was just wondering, what do you see the implications of not getting a sort of sufficient pay rise as being? Is it, like you said, more New Zealand nurses go, say, to Australia, to the UK? Um, and, and what happens then for us? Do we bring in <clears throat> skills from other countries? or? Yeah, so, so thanks for asking that, um, Ben. I think it does have pretty big implications for workforce. We're already anticipating that we're going to have a shortage of nurses and that we're not as it is uh, training sufficient numbers of nurses to replace um, the large number of older nurses in our workforce who invariably will retire. Um, I, I think we need to make sure that we are paying nurses enough to attract them into the job, to make it a desirable job to work in, um, but also to, to keep nurses who have the benefit of experience and skills in the job um, to help support those that are that are new to the job, and if we don't spend that money, um, we're just not going to have nurses doing doing those jobs, and we're not going to have skilled nurses who are able to mentor the new nurses. So, is this an across the board claim? Um, you know, in terms of everybody five percent or something, or is it that you're looking for more sort of growth in that kind of you know that experienced senior practitioner area? Maybe the starting rate is about right, or you know, um, I, I'm not going to speak to where exactly we should have the, the pay rates. That's something that the you know the union is negotiating on behalf of all nurses. We do already have a claim for for equity. I think at the at the lower end of the pay scale, um, there was already a, you know a clear argument that has been um, validated by the government that we have been long underpaid, partly because it was considered women's work to be caring Um, but attracting and and maintaining people uh, who are highly skilled who are advanced nurses who are in leadership roles is also going to be important um, particularly with the formation of a a new national health service Um, we want nurses with lots of experience and knowledge at the table to help develop that new health service um, and we need to we need to have them, um, you know, in the game. We need to have them still working for us here in New Zealand um, in order to to have their input. Now we have uh, just got an email 
from Sean, who is listening to the panel from Australia. Uh, and Sean is writing from Australia this, uh, this, this email here. Uh, I'll keep it brief. Uh, Wallace, I'm a registered nurse working in Australia, and the number one reason I left was unsafe staffing and mandated patient ratios. Yes, I will look at coming back to New Zealand if conditions improve. Secondly, I have been able to save for my future here with better pay and retirement savings. Add to that the general public in, New Z- in Australia view nurses with more respect and acknowledge them here in Australia for their education and skills and not as glorified bottom wipers or cup of tea makers. So pretty strong words from word email there, um, Natalie. I just wanted to get your, get your view on that. Yeah, so um, Sharon, I hope you do come back to New Zealand, but um, at the moment we uh, are still struggling to ensure that our units are safely staffed. I think it's really telling that, um, you know, one of my colleagues has shared uh, on social media today the number of staff who are on to provide life-preserving services in her emergency department uh, to replace the usual 10 nurses that would be working is, you know, is vastly a huge number of multidisciplinary people to try and cover that workload. And I think that um, that really speaks that, that, you know, if life-preserving services are more staff than we usually have on, then clearly we don't have enough staff on at the moment. All right, Dr Natalie Anderson there. Kanui Akumika, thank you very much. Mihi, rather, thank you very much for being with us uh, on uh, the panel. Uh, another text here, nurses rock. They do an incredible job. Both my husband and I have spent time in hospital over the last 12 months and the nursing staff were all excellent. Totally support their strike. Let us know how we can help support. What's the final comment, Ben? How do you feel about it? You're a brave government taking on the nurses. <laughs> you know, it's it's politically it's just a matter of how much the government gives in and when. Um, you know, really hard to take on the nurses, really hard to take on the doctors um, in any kind of prolonged way. Um, first of all, because you know they do do such an essential service that people really miss it. It's not the same as MB going on strike for half a day. Right? <laughs> MB might have been on strike for six months. Nobody would know. But but with the nurses, you don't have to, you don't have to go out to the picket line to notice that they're missing. Um, they are highly respected. Obviously, obviously post COVID, um, you know they're they're holding all the cards here. Um, you know Andrew Little's a very capable minister, and I think he'll find a way way through it. Uh, it is 18 past four, the panel, uh, NZ National. This morning, thousands of government news, and uh, last night also, wasn't it? Thousands of government news and social media websites across the world were hit by an hour-long outage. Now, this included websites like the New York Times, BBC, Amazon, even RNZ. And it was linked to a US-based cloud company, Fastly Incorporated, which handles 10% of the world's internet traffic. The company, which provides content delivery network services, had earlier reported a disruption from a service configuration. To discuss is Jordan Carter, the chief executive of Internet NZ. Jordan, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Kia ora, panel. So this was, well, from the outset, for, for, for the, those of us who uh, were trying to, as one journalist, trying to sort of look at his trade me uh, and, um, <laughs> and trying to tap in, it was quite something. I mean, do we know what happened? What caused these sites to go down? Explain it for us. So it looks like that what happened was that someone made a config or an update error inside Fastly. Um, and Fastly is the service that basically, like a couple of other big content delivery um, organizations, make sure that the content that you want online is closer to you. 
So it's, it's most noticeable with video, but it's there on a lot of websites as well. And without it, um, we'd have big problems because stuff would be slower and websites like RNZ and Co would be massively subject to um, cyber attacks much more easily. They wouldn't have the resilience of these big networks. But it looks like someone made a mistake internally um, and it right. took them an hour or so to work out how to reverse that change. Uh, and when they did, uh, things started working again. So, so did someone press yeah, a button Brody. wrong? Did someone press control out delete or or like is it that simple? Do we reckon? Uh, I don't think it was quite, I don't think it's quite that simple. Um, but one thing that I'm kind of expecting is that these these people will do a really good debrief of it and then they'll publish an explanation of what happened. Um, haven't seen that yet, but it's uh, just from the way that the notifications they're putting on their website looks like that they hunted down a, a mistake that had made in some update in their system or code or something. Uh, and it and it broke it, <laughs> so they had to right. reverse that out really quickly. I'll bring Ben and Ben Thomas is here as well, Jordan. But uh, the there was a very interesting article in the Guardian by Alex Hearn and Dan Sabah about this very issue, and they they were kind of going along the lines that an unexplained uh, configuration error at a single infrastructure provider should be a bit of a wake up call that the internet has become dangerously over-centralised and lacks resilience, where earlier the internet used to be a little bit more decentralised. Now it's become very, uh, very centralised and hence quite prone to, I guess, these sorts of things. Mm. So you're bringing Ben in or me in on that one? Well, I just, yeah, comment on that and then I'll bring Ben in. Yeah, I'd like to yeah, hear yeah. from you, Jordan, so that I don't have to, <laughs> I don't have to try and explain it in terms of cardboard tubes and <laughs> string can <Cube>. telephones. <laughs> sure. Tubes of cats. Oh, look, I, I, I love your tech, Ben. I love your tech. Um, I, look, I think that it's both true and not true is the unfortunate answer, Wallace, because um, there are some big providers. I think there's four of these big CDNs globally. And so when they have a problem, people really do notice. And it's quite oh. a big effort for websites. You can't really have like a completely seamless and instant hand over to another content delivery network. But on the other hand, if they didn't have these networks, we would all notice it in myriad ways. So you'd have people, you know, slower to get to stuff, you know, those buffering wheels if you're trying to watch streaming video services, they'd be around a lot longer. Stuff would be jerkier when you're watching it. And websites could take a long time to load. And when as the sort of DDoS and various other cyber threats wander around the internet, they would have a much easier job of taking down sites they didn't like the reporting of, or that they didn't like the opinions of, or they didn't uh. want to, to hack into. So, so the scale of these guys gives us advantages and disadvantages. And we've seen one of the disadvantages with this. Um, and, you know, it is, it is a problem of concentration, but there are also benefits to it. Mm. Ben Thomas. I may not have a lot to contribute on the technical aspects of this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, asked, I'm still finishing my own report. <laughs> um, but but it, is, it is interesting uh, when, you know, just going through life and then you have a moment like this where you realise how so much of what you do during the day is totally contingent on something that you have never heard of, yeah. don't yeah. understand at all. That's why it's news. And... Yeah, the, New York yeah. the New York Times going down? I mean, it's extraordinary. Yeah, and it's because of Fastly, whatever that is. Um, <laughs> and, it's like the water and, pipes, right? You don't notice, and yeah. then all of a sudden it's not working and you really notice. Great analogy.
Yeah, that's right. We, Great we all sort of think of, you know, of, of how sort of independent we are and how in control of our destinies we are. Yeah. And then some fastly dude <laughs> pushes the wrong thing, means that I cannot watch The, the Apprentice NZ on demand at 10.30pm last night when I had finished my work. Which is what you're going to do. I want to try, I try, I wanted to try and get out of here. What, what I'm trying to ask is how can I sue fastly? Ah. <laughs> uh. Uh, I don't know. United States. Uh, <laughs> I want to go because this is the thing that really struck me late last night when I saw all these sites go down, and that is, what did we do? How did we keep ourselves entertained prior to the internet? So I want to go round the panel now. You first, Jordan. What did you do before the internet? Before you dialed into the internet. What would you Before have done? I dialed into the internet, well, I was a high school student. I spent a lot of time in the library, to be honest, because I'm a bit of a nerd. Okay. The original internet. Uh, all right. So. <laughs> <laughs> Brody? Well, I was thinking about when the internet was around and I was, I must still think I was at high school as well, when it was just creeping in um, to be able to use it. So I was just outside. It's outside the house all the time. Shocking. Hockey, playing, oh. not worrying about what anyone else thought. It was a yeah. much simpler time. It was a much simpler time. Mm. Ben? Uh, yeah, I, I I was quite a late adopter and I'm quite old, so I I don't think I had an email address until I was sort of 23, 24. Um, what did I do? I read books. I listened to the same dubbed album on a cassette tape oh, about yes. ten times in a row. Um, yes. I mean, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that I actually got a lot more done. Okay, I, but but I think I really dedicated myself to the you know the the three website equivalents that I did go to. Yeah, interesting. All right, hey Jordan Carter, thank you very much for your time there. Thank you, appreciate it. Uh, that's Jordan Carter, the chief executive of Internet uh, NZ. It is, well, you're on the panel, RNZ National. It's 25 past four. Lord, of course, and there was some speculation that the internet might have gone down due to the release of the cover art of Lord's new album, Solar Power. An arresting image of Lord taken from below as she strides over the camera and was met by a huge wave of response, many celebrating the brave cover, others calling it risque. Says one tweeter, the grip that Lord has on society, like she leaves you for four years, posts the cover out for a single without any promo and still immediately trends at number one globally. Some saying, should I try and recreate the new Lord single cover? And it got us thinking here, what is an album that you bought purely on the strength of its cover. We've got a few already. One says a Massive Attack, Mezzanine on CD in 1998. It was a pick of a composite pick of a black beetle, and it's an absolute classic, no regrets. Murray says, I bought Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy, purely on the strength of that cover art. <laughs> so there's a couple of there. What about you? 2101 is the number to text us on that. So firstly, around the panel, Brody Kane, you first. What did you think of it? Oh, it's awesome. I'm like, I was like, whoa, what, what, okay, good, let's go. Here, here she is. 
Um, I always feel sorry for Lord because she's got the weight of the of the nation on her shoulders, mm. you know, and like she's just this young, smart, awesome woman, and I just. She can do what she likes, quite frankly, and she's done that, and good for her, and she looks fantastic. Is it objectification? Is it rock and roll? What, it is, is it, what does it all it, mean? Well, look, you know, when I was looking around, digging around, um, looking at uh, iconic album covers, um, and I was doing a little Google, and I was actually at the library today when this one came up, John Lennon and Yoko Ono in 1968 released an album, um, and the album cover, they were fully naked, full frontal and that came up on my computer at the library. So all of the <laughs> all of the bits and bobs, all of the bits and bobs. Now it was it was blurred over, and um, only five thousand were released. But this is like nineteen sixty eight, and you know people have been making provocative or controversial album cover, covers. It's their license to art. So she's yeah, good, good from her. Ben Thomas, the Lord album cover art. What did you first impressions? Uh, uh, a striking image. Um, from our greatest living New Zealander. Um, you know, I mean, if we could just get the national anthem on so that we could stand, put our hands over our hearts and, and just pay our respects um, to, you know, the person that I think is, you know, the, the, the greatest representative of New Zealand on the world stage. You're clearly a fan. Oh, I remember when she was, you know, 15 or 16 and, and had first released music and I read a profile of her in The Guardian and this was, you know, during that kind of decade and a half when every reference to New Zealand was just Lord of the Rings and Hobbits and things. Mm. Oh, yeah. And she was talking to this Guardian interviewer and she was talking about her relationship with Joel Little, her producer, and she said, I conceive of it more as kind of the relationship that Raymond Carver and Gordon Lish had in terms of editing. And I just, I swooned and I have just never come down from my okay. love for Lord. Um, Into the cover? Brave? The, well, the cover, I mean, look, yesterday was just like CSI Lord, um, as numerous friends of mine, or women I want to, I hasten to add, were just like, well, what are we trying, what are we looking at here? You know, back into the left, back into the left, and large frame, frame A two. You know, um, look, it's it's a very arresting image. Um, you know, it's it's a great it's great iconography. She's going for this kind of you know summer carefree kind of thing, yes. which it is. And as as the pandemic opens, uh, the the post pandemic world opens up in the northern hemisphere to coincide with summer. Um, it's going to be a huge hit. Um, and as as per usual, I think she's completely in control of her image. That's the the other thing yeah, that's always been absolutely. a hallmark. Mm. When she was sixteen, she was demanding that she had you know the final say in holding the pen on every item of merch, every bit of promotional material uh, that Sony was release. Sony, I think, was releasing. Gosh, okay, briefly around the panel because uh, we've got a big response from this. Uh, an album that you each bought purely on the strength of the cover art, Brody Kane. Okay, so I actually have to admit that I haven't done that, but one that just is the is the most the one that sticks out the most yeah. for me that I do have, um, I got p- passed down to me from my brother is the Nirvana album Nevermind. Absolutely, with the baby. yeah, yeah. And we, every every single person listening to this will know that uh, cover art, Ben D- Thomas. Just yep. an absolute all timer yep. in terms of classic, classic, you know. Classic image that mm. tells you what this is all That's about, right. you know. That's so, right. so of the zeitgeist. Um, yeah, that was the one that I was thinking of. That's I didn't buy that because of the um, the cover. 
I would have bought, you know, about a million albums for the covers. Back Is that in, right? Back in the days of Real Groovy, when it was actually quite... Because remember, before the internet, before Fastly, it was quite hard mm-hmm. to discover new music. You know, you had to sit through sort of 20 minutes of awkward silences or discontinued air on BFM before they could play a song <laughs> that yeah. you might like. And... <laughs> And and so you'd go to Real Groovy and you'd fossick through the, you know, five for ten dollars bins of cassettes of bands that you've never heard of. And, you know, unless you wanted to be a total dweeb and go up to the counter and ask to play the two dollar cassette on the head headphones, yeah. you know, every weekend you'd come home right. with with a haul of things that you know, you bought just for the cover. It's probably illustrative that I can't remember what any no. of them were. Okay, on that note, <laughs> no, none of them were good. <laughs> a big response. Uh, we'll get uh, your feedback in about uh, that. Uh, the best cover art ever.